Kia ora, ni hao, and hello. Welcome to the Cherry Journal podcast. I'm your host Camille Yang. My guest today is Bridget Romans. She's the founder of Mobile Relocation Company, helping Kiwis returning to work and live at homeland, assisting migrants and expats relocating to New Zealand. We talk about Kiwi returning home, global talent relocation to New Zealand, and the Kiwi working culture and third culture kids. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Thank you, Camelia. It's wonderful to be here. Shall we start with、um, your background and your journey as an expat to founding your own business, helping expats? Sure. Yes, I, I guess I had always somehow, from a very young age, wanted to be an expat. I always envisaged myself living outside New Zealand. You know, I was really excited by different cultures and different countries, and I just saw as part of my life that that would happen. I can't say that I was very sure how that would happen,、uh, so I trotted、mm-hmm. off to university. My first expat experience, I guess, was moving from Auckland to Dunedin、uh, to go to university to the other island of New Zealand, <laughs> <Yes> . and <laughs> that was purely because I wanted to be in a different city. I didn't want to stay in Auckland; I wanted to be somewhere else. I think perhaps that was my first step, without realising it. So I went to university down there、um, and. Really got to the end of my degree, and the sort of jobs were floating around, and and I went to some interviews. I went to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade for、uh, an interview, and that sounded quite interesting because it meant that I could live overseas. So I joined、uh, MFAT as a diplomat. Went off to、uh, postings in India first,、uh, and then Singapore, both of which I loved for completely different reasons. Enjoyed living and working in both those places. You know, it had its ups and downs. Some moments were really challenging, but the whole experience overall was incredibly, you know, mind opening. Yeah,、um, changed me as a person in many ways.、Uh, you know, I had to learn the hard way how to be cross cultural because you know I was working alongside people of different. Nationalities. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't like I was living in the majority culture in New Zealand anymore, where people from overseas came into my world. I was going into other people's worlds, so I had to figure out how to, you know, make friends and be effective and do my job and and be happy.、Mm. So yeah, that took quite a lot of learning, but it was a great experience.、Yeah. Uh, and while I was away, I really went through all the different facets of being an expat. I went.、Um, My first posting to India, I went initially by myself, so I was a single woman, quite young, twenty twenty three or something. And then my partner joined me, so I had a partner who initially wasn't working, so that was interesting.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he got a job, so then we were both working,、uh, and then we repatriated back to New Zealand. And then the second time we went away to Singapore,、mm-hmm. my husband got a really good job at the same time as I was sent to Singapore. So we both went as a dual career couple, so we both had to manage our Our relationship and our jobs in Singapore, and then I had two children overseas, which was another experience in a, in a medical system which wasn't what I was used to,、um, and and you know having to make friends. I didn't have my old friends around me who were having children at the same time. I had to make other parental friends, which was great fun. Some of whom are still my really good friends today. And then we returned to New Zealand, having left. I don't think we took anything to Singapore except a bit of air freight. When we came back, we had. You know, an enormous container full of baby stuff and all these <laughs> sorts of things, and repatriating to New Zealand,、yeah. where I'd never lived with children, and I was actually pregnant as well. So I suddenly had to then understand the New Zealand maternity system.、Um, didn't even really know where families lived in Auckland. I just lived where my parents lived. 
So that was quite an experience. So got through that journey and then uh, did a bit of policy work and, and some freelance writing, a whole range of different things, and started working for a company um, working with expats coming into New Zealand. And that sort of drew on all my experience, my personal experience. Yeah. Did that for a while. And then I sort of thought, well, actually, that, that's great. But I think there's a different way of doing this that aligns us more with supporting employers who want to bring expats into New Zealand because, you know, New Zealand has these huge um, talent and skill shortages. So having people come to New Zealand from different countries to work here is going to be part of our future, Mm. you know, for the long term. Sometimes I think employers just see the person as the talent. They don't see them as the whole person. And what it's like for somebody to move countries is completely different than just employing a Kiwi who may have come from another company just down the road. You know, they might come out of their driveway and catch a different bus to work, you know, because they're in a new office. Whereas for a person who's moving to New Zealand for work, they're re-establishing their whole life here. So what we wanted to do was work with employers who were doing that to enable them to get the best out of the talent that they were employing by addressing their needs outside work as well as just doing onboarding in the office. So what we do is is essentially onboard people to New Zealand in the same way that their employer onboards them to their new role in their new organisation. So that's where I ended up. And so we founded Mobile Relocation in 2016. And we've been going strong since then. We had a bit of a dip last year, I must admit, (laughs) um, when the border closed. Mm -hmm. But since then, we have done a pivot and we're now working not only with corporates, a number of whom can still get Mm -hmm talent into New Zealand if they're in areas that New Zealand is really needs right now, uh, but also with returning Kiwis, of which we've never seen the number that we have now, and increasingly they're people who've been away for 15, 10, 15, 20 years. So yeah. for them, it is, as was my experience, they're coming back at a very different stage of their lives. Mm. They've been on holiday in New Zealand, but they lived here, haven't lived here for a long time. So many things have moved on and changed here. So they're like expats, really. Um, so now we have an even broader client base, which is fantastic. So that is a long way of answering your question, Camilla. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because last year I was living in the UK and uh, a lot of my Kiwi expat friends who lived in the UK for more than a decade, they all returned to New Zealand. I assume they probably facing a lot of challenges. So based on your experience, what are the top three challenges facing the returning Kiwis? Well, the first one I'm going to highlight is something that I experience personally, and I hear it from a lot of um, returning Kiwis. And that is you don't realise mm-hmm. how far away New Zealand is until you come back live here. <laughs> Again, when I talk about my reasons for wanting to be an expat, I think it's the same for most Kiwis who leave. They want to, to experience a wider world. And, you know, you were telling me before mm. we started chatting that um, you were in London, now you're living in Europe and you want to stay and travel and you get very used to, to living like that mm-hmm. and being exposed to lots of different things all the yeah. time. True. And suddenly you come back to New Zealand <laughs> we had all these amazing plans. Yes, we'd do an overseas trip every year and, you know, we needed to keep connected. Blah, blah, blah. You get back here and you realise how much it costs. You only have a certain amount of leave per year. Um, if you want to go back to Europe, the seasons are the wrong way around. You know, when you have your big holiday, mm-hmm. it's not summer in um, Europe, and, but, but in yeah. New Zealand it is. So the practicalities of that and also the, the mental disconnect from the rest of the world. I mean, it's great. You can, you can do a certain amount um, online and on Zoom, but it's not quite the same as being there. So I think that is a big wake-up call that people often don't really appreciate. 
The other thing, number two thing, I guess, more broadly is reverse culture shock that most returning Kiwis experience. And I think the, the best piece of advice I can give on that is expect that you will experience, expect the worst, um, because most people do go through it in some way, mm-hmm. some ways. And it, it can take manifest itself in many ways. Uh, it can be as much as coming back and your family and friends in New Zealand who haven't been away expecting you to be exactly the same person as you were before you left. And you're not because you've had all these amazing different experiences some of them were hard some of them were easy but they've changed the way that you look at the world and the way that you are so there's a sometimes a bit of a disconnect that can be uh, and that can lead to you not feeling comfortable about talking necessarily mm-hmm. about where uh, you've been and what you've been doing because in some and you know come back to tall poppy syndrome you can seem like you're boasting and you know New Zealand, everywhere else is better than New Zealand and in fact from your point of view you're yeah. just sharing what you've been up to for the last few years it's <laughs> sure not, you know yeah. no judgment <laughs> on it but you know you sort of have to feel a little bit closed down sure. sometimes about being yeah. able to talk about those sorts of things professionally you we see a lot of returning Kiwis who've actually changed careers while they've been overseas so they come back to New Zealand and their network and New Zealand isn't relevant anymore, so they have to re-establish themselves in their own country, which is kind of weird professionally. Yeah. And then even if you are in the same um, same field, you have probably risen up the ranks or you've got experience that's different to New Zealanders, but you're coming back into a bit of a void. You know, you were master of your universe in the UK or wherever you were, uh, and you knew a lot of people and people respected you, whereas here you're, you're coming back, you know you can do this job, but people in New Zealand are going, who are you? you know, I haven't seen you for a while, yes. what have you been doing? So it's kind of a little bit soul-destroying yeah. uh, sometimes to be in that situation. And even other things that I notice are both a challenge and an opportunity for people too when they return is and, and they can feel inadequate about it, is the, the change in New Zealand, particularly um, the greater prevalence of Māori culture mm. in the workplace, inclu- including using te reo, so greater understanding of te ao Māori, the Māori world. That, and that's wonderful for those of us who are here. And for me, it feels very enriching. But I see for Kiwis coming back, they suddenly think, oh, gosh, you know, I've got to, got to come up to speed with this. You know, New Zealand's moved on while you've been away as well. Yeah, exactly. That's the um, second thing. And then the third thing, I think, is change in people's time in life. Uh, as I alluded to before in my own story, you know, a lot of people have gone away with the backpack uh, and come back 10 years later. With, with often family. with a partner who's not a New Zealander. Yeah. So, you know, you may be coming back to what you think is home, but that's not home for your partner. And if you've had children, they probably mm. have been on holiday in New Zealand, but they don't know about the schooling system. I had a family the other day, they've been away for 20 years in the US, mm. and the mum was saying to me, oh, gosh, I'm so worried about the children. They're not going to know that the um, this, in the US they call it, I think it's the canteen or whatever, um, mm. where you go and get your lunch. In mm. New Zealand that's called the tuck shop. They have no idea. Yeah, they've got no idea about it. And as, yeah. a, as a New Zealand parent, New Zealander coming home, that's kind of second nature, but you've got to remember you, it's not your children's home and not your partner's mm. home. Yeah. Um, so helping the rest of your family adjust and all of those things I mentioned before about not knowing, you haven't sort of gradually worked through to get to that stage of your life in New Zealand. You're suddenly being parachuted in. You have to know everything about children's schools and the education system and, yeah. you know, maternity care and also KiwiSaver, you know, all those things. Yeah, can be very stressful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just a lot, you know, it's a lot to do. And I and I do think there's sometimes this feeling, oh, I'm going home, you know, I'm going back to somewhere mm-hmm. I know. And it's it's a different, yeah. you, you really have to treat it in the same way as you treat it 
as when you move to a new country, the same amount of research, expect the same difficulties um, and some different difficulties as well. It's not just like you're slotting straight back in no. to where you were before. Yeah. So regarding your personal stories, what's your children's reaction when they move back to New Zealand? Are they quite adapted to the Kiwi ways or do they also have a lot of challenges in school? Interestingly, my children were quite young. My daughter was four and my son was 18 months. So 18 months, he really actually, we had, um, you know, when we lived in Singapore, we had a helper at home who was like the children's grandmother. And he, he didn't, wasn't really, he wasn't a super early talker, but he was after we came back to New Zealand, he was wandering around the house calling her name out mm. in New Zealand. So that was kind of like, oh, so sad. You know, it's like it's like going overseas and leaving your grandmother in New Zealand, but it's mm. the other way around. I mean, I, and he's still, when we talk to her on Zoom, he's still quite close to her. But my daughter, really interestingly, she came back, she went into preschool and she found that a little bit hard. I think, you know, even at that age, she's, well, I don't have any friends. Mm. And then... She started saying to me, because we had been in Singapore and we lived, um, she, she'd never eaten McDonald's. Her normal takeaway was sushi. You know, we, we, you know, ate Chinese food most of the time. And, you know, and she was surrounded by a very sort of Chinese environment. And she said to me one day, Mummy, I am a little bit Chinese, aren't I? <laughs> and I thought, gosh, you know, that's all visually and culturally, that's what she's going up, uh-huh. growing up with. And she still has that little, she, she felt you know, that she almost, New Zealand was not familiar to her. Even though she'd been here on holiday, it was a holiday place. And even at the age mm-hmm. of four, to, you know, to be sensing that. Wow. And it, it, I, I think I see it as a positive, and I can talk about this a bit later, but, you know, I'm very interested in the whole food culture kid phenomenon. And I see it play, and, and to be fair, she, in our, as we still eat a lot of Chinese-based food at home even now. Mm-hmm. That's just because, because I lived overseas for so long, it's just normal for us to do that. Um, so there are certain elements of the culture that she was born into that at a, at a reasonably superficial level that she's still sort of connected with. But also it's been really interesting observing her friendships and relationships. She has a really close group of friends that she's made at school who are all first-generation New Zealanders. Um, and she, you know, has been on holiday with one of them, uh, one family who um, still has extended family in China, and they're very close to us Um you know, so she sort of carried that thread through her life somehow, which I think is an incredibly positive thing for her to have. It's an experience that other New Zealand kids don't have. So, Yeah, that's great. Does she have any thoughts to move overseas or she wants to stay in New Zealand? <laughs> Ever since she was at, she's at university now, she wants to live in Hong Kong. She loves Hong Kong. We've, she's been there a couple of times. And... That's cool. We had a brief chat about the MAQ system because this is the number one barrier for Kiwis return home. So what's your thoughts on the MAQ system? Mm. Would you Gave me a brief introduction of this and uh, how do you think we can better improve this system to help Kiwis and other global talents to come back to New Zealand? Yeah, well, I think that my view on MIQ is that it was only ever going to be a temporary solution. Um, and, you know, in, in mm. COVID terms, temporary has been, you know, 18 months <laughs> now. Oh, wow. uh, but, you know, we will move to a point where we don't need it anymore. Uh, and that's starting to happen already uh, in the sense that, um, you know, we have a Delta outbreak in New Zealand and the government actually needs those MIQ rooms to isolate people who have Delta as opposed to 
people who are coming into New Zealand, most of whom don't have COVID at all. You know, they're tested before they leave. And then by the time they've isolated, they definitely don't, you know, have COVID. It's the minority of cases that slip through. So they've already announced that as of early next year, Kiwis will have a reduced requirement for MIQ or will be able to home isolate. Mm. And there'll be an announcement coming in more detail about that this week. So, you know, hopefully that's some relief on the horizon uh, for returning Kiwis. And I ex- and they, they'd also foreshadowed prior to that that they would be moving to a system where if you come from a low-risk country, if you're vaccinated and if you pre-departure test negative, mm-hmm. then um, it will be quarantine-free travel to New Zealand. So that would be for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that will happen. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but that was supposed to be rolled out next year. So, you know, the situation is changing. Now, having said that, we have a very large number of both expats and returning Kiwi clients at the moment who are involved in the MIQ lottery. And in fact, before this call, I was just talking to one guy who, you know, has been in it. He's been in every round now. Um, He's got a job back in New Zealand, just can't get through. And yeah, he was up at, he said he was up at 2 a.m. in the morning and the la- he was in the UK on the last one trying to get a spot. And it's incredibly stressful. And yeah. he, he said to me, look, you know, I need to give three months resignation a notice for my job, which I can't do because I don't know when I'm coming. Wow. So, you know, it involves a whole mm-hmm. lot of contingent issues, which then all build up and become very, very stressful for people. So it's not an easy situation. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the emotional struggle for people who are intending to stay overseas but you know who just want to get back and see and reconnect with their family after you know some you know a minimum of two years away because that's pretty much how long it's been at the moment yeah and and really you know this is not necessarily a solution but the way that we suggest people look at it is sort of get a piece of paper write down two columns what I can can control what I can't control and sadly in my queue the policy is one thing that you can't control True. You know, no matter how much we complain about it um, and and feel sad about it, because it's a mixture of both, the two things go together. At the end of the day, the decisions in New Zealand, and this is probably not so transparent overseas, but the decisions in New Zealand are so heavily being driven by health concerns. Mm -hmm. You know, that can seem very doctrinaire um, when you're sitting outside New Zealand trying to get into MIQ. But until the health situation mm. changes, the MIQ situation doesn't change. So that's what's starting to roll out next year when the health situation changes. What we try to do with people mm. is, okay, you can't control the MIQ situation. What can you control? Using this time really well. And again, I'll just this call I was on prior to this one, I worked through with them what they're going to do about their shipping, mm-hmm. planning currency transfers, um, a whole raft of different things that they can all be setting up and organising now so that when they get the MIQ, which is the uncontrollable mm-hmm. bit, all of that stuff is ready to go, push the buttons, yes. and off you go. Because otherwise, and I've seen this with other clients where they don't do that, suddenly you've got your MIQ spot, and I'm thinking of one client in particular, selling the house, organising the currency transfer, <laughs> finalising the pet yep. shipment, everything, all <laughs> at the same time. And then you really feel out of control. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's a matter of working on what you can work on and, sure, and yeah. recognising there are some things which are really distressing that you can't control right now. Do you have any other case studies helping companies in New Zealand, helping their talent relocate to New Zealand? Because I know New Zealand is a very attractive place for mm. global talents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, our clients are the best employers from my perspective, so I can't talk highly enough about what they do because, you know, by employing us, they're, they're recognising that 
expat talent, you know, it's complicated coming to New Zealand. It's not just turning up for the job and bringing your amazing skills and, and, and sitting down. And one client I would talk about in particular, they started a recruitment drive, ironically, just before um, COVID hit. Oh. So we had probably 15 people in the pipeline, wow. some of whom were literally about to get on the plane when the New Zealand border closed. So their, their shipment was on the water to New Zealand they had um, sold their house. They had a small child, so they had to move in with um, extended family. They were in the US, mm. uh, and we didn't get them here until October last year. So it took them a year to get here. It took them a long time to get here. But during that time period, we and the employer were constantly supporting them. So we brought in, we have an expert, expat wellbeing expert, Dr. Sonia Yeager, that we work with. So we did a, and there was this whole cohort, that person was in the worst situation. Others were just sort of in the, you know, partway through mm. the process, but everybody was meant to be in New Zealand and they weren't, you know, yeah. within the COVID period. Mm -hmm. So we brought in our expat wellbeing specialist and we did a series of workshops with them to talk through some of the things that, like focusing what you can control and what you can't control. Mm -hmm. um, logistically, we worked with them because early on, um, you know, the it was incredibly unreliable uh, even booking flights. Flights were cancelled to New Zealand True. and there still are flights online mm -hmm. and that's a warning I would make to Kiwis, please use a travel agent mm. because there are still flights advertised online that don't exist. No. You'll book them, you'll pay for them, <laughs> and then you'll be told a little while beforehand, oh, sorry, that flight's scheduled, scheduled to restart in 2024 or something, yeah. and then you have to get your money back. If you use a travel agent, at least you have they know which flights exist and they will deal with any issues that come up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm supporting them with Early on, people didn't realise that. So we got a really good travel provider on board. And just, again, if you divide them to the two buckets of what you can and what you can't mm. control, providing the employers who provided people with emotional support and logistical support helped keep them on track, you know, while they were going through this terrible period. Mm -hmm. And one really interesting thing I've noticed is that, you know, those employers who, who stuck with their candidates through this worst period are still employing offshore now, mm. uh, and that's great. And they were great employers anyway, as are all of the people who work with us. But the other thing I've noticed really in the last couple of months, actually, is we're getting we're incredibly busy because I think that the, the awareness amongst employers of the whole experience of an expat moving to New Zealand is heightened because mm. of COVID. People you know, they're hearing about the difficulties with the MIQ, they're yep. hearing about the flight cancellations, yep. they know that the price of shipping has increased because that's affecting everybody's Christmas presents, you know, our supply <laughs> chain is not just, you know, when it was just about, you know, an expat shipping a container of stuff to New Zealand, they put that out of their mind, that was just something that had to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. But now the supply chain problems which are causing increases for, um, for expats shipping stuff to New Zealand are also causing price increases for anything that's coming to New Zealand. Sure, so yeah. suddenly the expat experience of moving here has become a lot more real for New Zealand businesses. So we're getting calls from people out of the blue saying, you know, I, I, I heard about you. We've got this really important person we need to get into the country, you know, yeah. help us to get them here mm -hmm. and make their experience a positive one so that they can perform at work. You know, if we put it bluntly, that's really what the employer's bottom line interest is, that, you know, they recognise that the person's well-being has to be in place so that they can turn up for the job and deliver what they need to deliver. You know, at the moment, uh, there's a trending of remote working. So many companies don't need 
their employee to come to New Zealand or come to their headquarters. So, what what's your thoughts on the future of work? Do you think the remote working will become a mainstream? Um, yes and no is the answer to that question. Um, what I have observed, and some of our clients where people were stuck offshore, the corporates have actually started them working remotely before they got were able to get to New Zealand. And in none of those cases has it been a long-term solution, and in none of those cases has it been ideal um, for a couple of reasons. One is because of the time zone differences. And New Zealand's probably uniquely difficult in that sense. And that, you know, once you get beyond about Singapore, it gets really complicated. <laughs> you know, West Coast of the US is all right, but you know, anywhere else it's hard. Exactly. And and also the yeah. um and then that causes a lot of social dislocation with people and their families. We had one person in Turkey who was working for a New Zealand company. So she worked all night, didn't even see her husband and her children during the day. You can't oh do that God. forever. No. Um and the other aspect of it too was that the, the work, they, they couldn't really get into New Zealand work culture. You know, people, everybody did their best, but without actually physically being with people, um, mm-hmm. it was really hard. And this is, I'm talking about new hires. Where I think it has been more successful is where existing relationships were in place already. So team members had already met each other. Perhaps they'd spent time in New Zealand um, and, and they were working off a foundation of a strong personal and work relationship and understanding of New Zealand work culture. And in Mm -hmm. that situation, it's been doable. Whether that's going to be the case long-term, I don't know. Interestingly, what we are seeing in New Zealand, if you talk about sort of domestic remote working, is that, you know, a lot of countries, a lot of companies have now gone to a hybrid model. So, you know, three days home, two days office, or vice versa, um, you know, around the city and Mm -hmm. and Auckland and other cities, or even around New Zealand. I know a number of people have remoted themselves to Mm -hmm. different cities in New Zealand, you know, they might be committed to coming back for a week or something. So that sort of hybrid model seems to, to be something that, that is, that is resonating and being successful. Yeah. What's unique about a Kiwi working environment, working culture? I think it's not so much about what's unique about New Zealand, it's what's unique about any working mm-hmm. culture. I mean, wherever you go, you need to kind of get into the the minds and the perspectives of the people that you're working with to understand why they are behaving and what they're doing uh in that way and see, you know, there's that below the iceberg term, you know, what you, what a person behaves and the way they seem mm-hmm. to you is only the top of it. And underneath that is probably another two thirds of sort of cultural background, personality, all sorts sure. of different things. So in any culture, you know, whether it's a New Zealand work culture or another, you, you know, there will be things that are different, different names for things. You know, New Zealanders use a lot of slang. We talk very quickly. So sort of yes. communication, those sorts of aspects of it. I mean, there is there has been research done which indicates that New Zealand is a low status and low status work culture. So, you know, hierarchies are not important in the way that they are in other countries, quite flat, True, egalitarian, yeah. which kind of matches our society. You know, and this mm-hmm. is not, not in every case, but, you know, broadly speaking, that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect is that, it can be, again, compared to other societies, New Zealanders expect a high degree of initiative in workplaces. So, you know, it's okay to put your hand up and say, oh, you know, I think we should do it this way, or you people don't wait for instructions mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And often employers will give you a broad directive and expect you to go off and do it and then come back and ask if you've got any questions, they're not going to give you a rigid framework no. <laughs> that you must do it this way. Yeah. So that's quite confronting for people who come from cultures where um, it's 
not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, they will be a bit bewildered about how am I meant to operate here. And then on the flip side, you know, and the thing about understanding Kiwi culture, I think, is it's got to be a two-way thing. And this is mm-hmm. where I think we have a big problem in New Zealand is that we expect everybody to come in here and do it the New Zealand way. We don't necessarily know what the New Zealand way, you know, I, I studied it so I can articulate it, but a lot of Kiwis are like, this is just yeah. the way we operate. And, oh, that person, they've got no initiative, you know, they've just got no initiative. And that's not that they've got no initiative, it's just not the way they're used to working and you need mm. to explain to them this is how we work and give them permission and support them yeah. to operate in that way and then they'll get it and then they'll do it. It's not that they don't have initiative. So um, a successful cross-cultural workplace is one where the receivers and the incomers, whatever you want to call it, that both sides are making an effort to understand each other and educate each other. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You know, the burden can't all be on one side. Yeah, exactly. Because I used to work in China and when I got my job in New Zealand, I do feel the differences between these two cultures. But I do love Kiwi's DIY spirit because all my roles are newly created roles. So I got a lot of flexibility to create my own working space and initiatives, which is great. And my managers, even the CMO, they all very supportive. So there is no hierarchy at all. So I can yeah. talk to CMO whenever I want. So that's very nice. But in China, you know, you need to obey the authority. You can't debate with the authority. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, for you particularly, Camilla, having, you know, worked a little bit with you when you were in New Zealand, mm. that enabled you to bring your whole talent, skill set, connections in the Chinese digital space to huge benefit for your employer, you know, that they were prepared to let you have that leeway. You were very valuable to them for that. Yeah. It was a win-win. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so through the all the talents, global talents you worked with, what are their like top three things about New Zealand they enjoy most? There's quite a lot of research on this about why HSBC does a really good annual survey mm-hmm. on just about every country in the world why expats go to those countries. And for New Zealand, money and career are normally like the bottom as opposed to somewhere like New York or, you know, the UK. Um, And lifestyle and work balance are at the top. That's really, you know, and I see that with a lot of my expat clients. You know, they they are, and I think this is also, a lot of my clients, I would say also amongst the most successful ones mm-hmm. um, who come to New Zealand, that's their expectation. You know, they don't arrive here and are disappointed about how much money they're earning or yeah. <laughs> the status of their job. They have made a, a deliberate trade-off um, to be in this country, you know, often for the sake of their family. Sometimes it's politics. They're unhappy with the politics from where they've come and they want to be, you know, in, in this environment. And the other thing too is the sort of um, the natural environment is important mm. to a lot of people. Easy access to the outdoors and and, and the, the kind of lifestyle that we uh, enjoy here. Yeah. So that that's the sort of a first mm. bundle of things, I guess, which is sort of you know lifestyle over money, fame, and fortune. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the other aspect too is people often come for their children's sake. They um, see New Zealand as, and this is returning Kiwis and expats, uh, they see growing up in New Zealand as, as something that they, an experience mm-hmm. they want to have for their children. They value that. 
yeah, so it, that sort of family piece is is quite important. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, I don't know, why, why did you come to New Zealand, Camille? Can I ask you? <laughs> yeah, sure. I was an exchange student before, yeah. so I did my one-year exchanging student program. But after one year, I said, I want to stay here because <laughs> I love outdoors. I love all the hiking, so sceneries. Yeah. New Zealand is the perfect place for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I yeah, got exactly. the job offer from Air New Zealand, which was Brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, I stayed yeah. and lived almost 10 years before I moved to the UK. You've sparked the other third point that I was grappling for, which is adventure. People come yes. here for adventure. You know, they know that New Zealand is the end of the world um, and they kind of like that. Yeah. You know, they want to come here and experience this really novel place. Uh-huh. And then interestingly, you know, you've, you've pointed out, you've kind of came to some of those other things I mentioned around the lifestyle you know, through being in New Zealand, mm-hmm. but you must have felt a little bit adventurous coming here. Yeah, I did a skydiving, bungee jumping, <laughs> anime diving, scuba <laughs> diving classes. Yeah, love it. <laughs> You're more adventurous than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like a New Zealand ambassador. Every time I go overseas, I just say, oh, the food and the scenery, you must yeah. go there. Because a lot of a lot of the yeah. ring and Hobbit fans, they've never been to New Zealand, but they've already climbed the seas in their mind. Yeah, one day I want to yeah. go. I haven't heard any bad things about New yeah, Zealand yeah. overseas. Everybody know, oh, you, you're from New Zealand, you're Kiwi. Yeah. They're all so happy. The reputation's great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is, that's actually raised an interesting point there because that is a bit of a double-edged sword because people do come here expecting it to be paradise, but no place is paradise. Mm. And I had one client the other day <laughs> say to me that um, they're offshore at the moment. They'd seen some... Um, media reporting about gangs in New Zealand and how bad were the gangs and I said well yeah you know we do have gangs and everywhere yeah you know it's it's not it's not a perfect place you know but you know come here with your eyes open realizing there'll be good things and bad things and tough things and there will be a period of either reverse culture shock or culture shock where you'll think oh my god what have I done everything's too hard Everything's too different, <laughs> you know, but you will come out of that. You'll, you'll figure out, you know, some things about New Zealand will probably always annoy them. Things about New Zealand that annoy me, you know, then there are other great things about New Zealand and there are other great things about other countries. And, you know, you most expats who come here, and I think it's really important to still, you don't throw away your, sure. your home country and your home culture. You still, you know, have ties to that, whether it's family or friends or or just some sort of feeling you know, we don't. I don't mm. expect anybody to to throw away their past. But you know, you have two homes, and there are good things about where you are now. There are good things about where you were before. And you know, live your life, enjoy it. Yeah. Can I be honest with you? When I first came to New Zealand, the Kiwi accent drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah but now I just love it and miss it a lot. Yeah. 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 That's right. I mean, that's it's, it's really hard when you come to a new place. And, and I think that's another disconcerting thing about New Zealand. People come here thinking they, well, no, well knowing they speak English, mm-hmm. but they don't understand New Zealanders. And that's not a, a commentary on people coming here. It's just that, you know, we do, we speak very quickly, we have an unusual accent, and we use a lot of terminology that's not used anywhere else in the world. 
So, you know, that that's quite disconcerting for people sometimes and really stressful and uh-huh. tiring because you've arrived in this place and, you, and it's really difficult to understand, let alone figure anything out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, have you ever dealt with some negative attitudes from the local people towards the immigrants? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know that it exists out there, definitely. And I think it's come to the surface a little bit with some of the attitudes towards returning Kiwis as well, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I, don't I, I find it really difficult to discuss it personally because I actually find it very um, distressing. You know, and the, and the Christchurch mm. mosque attack was just devastating for me mm. personally because I've lived in very diverse communities and I have Muslim friends and, you know, that's just not the way that I see the world. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are people in New Zealand who don't have the benefit of the broad experience that I have and in fact that many migrants coming to New Zealand have you know and they feel threatened and and unwilling to see different people's perspectives I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic that that will change for two reasons one because Maori culture has become obvious it's no longer being marginalized and sidelined as much as it was before so Mm. you know even we, we need to sort of set our own home in order a bit first, understand the two the two mm-hmm. main cultures by number in New Zealand at the moment. That will help understanding of, of broader perspectives. And then hopefully over time, and I see it actually do ha- is happening through the school system. I know some of our clients' children get bullied when they come to New Zealand, you know, why is your skin a different colour, etc. Oh, yeah. But on the other hand, I also see the diversity in those classrooms and the way the teachers... Um, facilitate understanding between the children and with my own children you know they just grow up with whoever is their friend is their friend you know it's definitely there and it's uncomfortable for me you know and I hope it's going to change (laughs) yeah I see yeah so what made you come back to New Zealand may I ask (laughs) yeah well we sort of got to a point where living in Singapore really you like loved living there Mm. lots of great friends and very happy but we just sort of got this feeling that we wanted to come back and spend some time in New Zealand which is kind of counter you know before I'd always been let's go out and have more adventures uh, and to be honest with you, came back to New Zealand and it was was great, enjoyed living here. I always sort of had in the back of my mind I'd go, we'd go away again and we sort of just haven't done that. So I think, oh, maybe I'll do it now. Who knows, after COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was sort of a, you know, perhaps it was having children a little bit. Yeah, but I certainly haven't, and my friends joke with me, I think there's always a part of me that wants to be connected internationally. My friends joke that I set up this company so that I could hang out with expats. And I think <laughs> okay. there's a certain amount of truth to that because yes. I enjoy every conversation I have with our clients, mm-hmm. you know, just learning about their world, where they come from, uh, how they see New Zealand, you know, how I can help them um, settle in here better. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's an important part of me is always having connections with cultures that are not my own. So you mentioned the third culture kids before. So mm. do you think they they will feel like lonely and they will have some mental health concerns if they move to the new country with their family that totally different from where they grow up? Yeah, I'm glad you've taken me back to that point because I should have mentioned that before when you were asking me about sort of racism towards migrants in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But I think this is something that everybody needs to be aware of. You know, third culture kids who are kids who are brought up in a country that's different to the culture of their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be a positive thing and a negative thing. If it's not acknowledged 
recognised, taken into account, it can cause difficulty for people's well-being and mental health because they they can grow up not knowing where they belong. Um, they feel mm. like an outsider in say New Zealand because you know they may look different they may have to have a different culture at home with their family and then hide all that when they're at school Um, they may go back Mm -hmm. to what is their parents home country on a holiday or something and they don't fit in there either because they speak with a Kiwi accent Um, you know they haven't grown up with their cousins etc so they're sort of left nowhere that's the negative side of it lack of belonging is one of the key sort of characteristics but I also think there's a well I know the research shows there's a huge positive to it because these kids are incredibly um, open-minded they're culturally agile because even on a daily basis they're switching languages the minute they walk in the door at home sometimes uh, the foods change the way of operating you know the cultural mores you know in a Chinese household you know the the, the hierarchy of the, the family is probably more important than respect for the elders whereas you go into a New Zealand school environment you might be calling an older teacher by their Christian name you know so they're switching yeah. between all these worlds and this is exactly the type of characteristics that the business world in particular and I think the future of our politics um, wants and needs so I, I feel really strongly that um, parents and kids need mm. to talk about what th- third culture kids are and the parents need to celebrate although it's hard for parents sometimes because they feel you know that their children are losing Mm. their culture it's not that they're losing so much it's that they're becoming incredibly agile in both and it doesn't and one of my daughter's friends recently said to me you know I now see myself as a Chinese New Zealander and that's I could just see the confidence in her had just blossomed because she's an amazing young woman but she was always I could see she was always sort of trying to fit in at school and she's just she's just said that's me now you know and she speaks Mandarin she speaks Spanish as well she's a very good linguist yeah. um she's yeah. incredibly talented uh so anyway diversion off there but you know so she's an example of of a child who's embraced that or a young woman now who's embraced that and then also the school system in New Zealand needs to be saying to these kids not oh go off to the ESL the English as a second language class oh no don't dress like that at school Um, they need to be saying to these kids in fact you're the ones in our class who can help the other kids see different perspectives maybe the teacher could be asking you about things that you know they don't know about um, and building these kids up because they are the future of New Zealand really you know in, in numbers but also in terms of you know, building on our traditional strengths of the DIY and the number eight wire and all of that, it's kind of building that into a cultural realm and bringing more ideas and innovation into New Zealand through the different perspectives. I mean, Mm. that's really what diversity is all about. But diversity, you know, I think in New Zealand with the opportunity for it to start in schools and with kids, which is really quite an amazing opportunity as opposed to you know parachuting people in so yeah no I'm all for third culture kids and I think it should be seen as much as possible as a positive I not downplaying the negatives of it but yeah I just think you tell your own story about who you are don't you you know and and recognizing some parts of your story a bit difficult um, but there are lots of positive parts to that story too it's not all just that you don't fit in yeah, exactly. I'm. I don't belong to third culture kids, but uh, I do consider myself like third culture adult. Yeah. So I normally it. tell people I'm a Chiwi Chinese Kiwi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. The research started off with third culture kids, but as time, mm. it was. I think it was done in the nineteen. 
when the book was published, Ruth Van Recken did sort of the 1970s and 80s. Mm. So obviously yeah. that generation's grown up now. So yes, there's a whole more body of work on third culture kids, third culture adults, sorry, as the kids have grown into adults, mm. and also what's now called cross-culture kids, which is more ah. the children of migrants. Um, yeah because third culture kids are often children who are quite transient across a number of different countries. But a lot of the concerns and also the benefits are the same. So if you could change one policy, will make your job easier, what would that be? Well, right now, to have more expats coming into New Zealand, because it would just be fun, we'd have more, even more clients than we have now. <laughs> and in terms of policies, yeah, I don't know, really. I mean, obviously, Having more, the whole COVID thing would be better to get that solved sooner rather than later so we wouldn't have to have MIQ. Uh, But, you know, I'm a realist again, what I can control and what I can't control. I think the recent move by the government to um, provide all of the people who are in the huge long residence queue in New Zealand with residence visas has been amazingly positive. And that's been good for me, not just because I've seen some of our clients have a huge weight taken off their shoulders, but it also re-establishes New Zealand's sort of profile in the world as quite a humane country because that was really tough, you know, what some of those people were were going through. Um, I suppose it's not so much a policy, but what I would really like to see happen is that even more businesses in New Zealand realise that diversity is not just about getting different people who look different and come from different countries and have different Mm -hmm. sets of talents and plonking them into your business. It's really about understanding what they need to be successful. And, you know, we can plug into helping the resettlement piece because that is essential. You know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of Mm -hmm. needs, at the bottom of that is food, shelter and clothing. You know, and that's at its most basic level what we do. We get them set up in New Zealand so that they can move to the next level, which is, you know, belonging and connecting um, after they've got the basics of security and and food and shelter and clothing sorted out, then they start to connect. And that's when they start to be useful to a business Mm -hmm. because they're operating in your space, connecting with people, sharing their knowledge. Uh, So to have a broader appreciation of what it actually takes for expat employees to be successful in New Zealand I think would be the best thing that could happen. That's not something the government can legislate for. That's that's my challenge really to the business community. Um, And I guess also to all returning Kiwis and expats who find themselves in positions of power in the New Zealand business community to be saying to their organisations, look, maybe based on my personal experience, um, we should be looking at doing things a bit differently uh, to get the best out of this expat talent that is going to be coming into New Zealand, you know, for years to come. We're never going to be able to train enough people quickly enough here. Yeah. Uh, it's part of our future. So mm-hmm. let's make it, you know, work really well for everybody. Yeah, good. So last question, what do you get most excited about the future? Oh, you mean in the expat land? In your personal or- life. <laughs> Oh, my personal yeah. life. Oh, probably being able to travel yeah. again. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And and continuing to, for our business, just con- as I say, being able to do more work to mm-hmm. help more businesses be successful with their international talent and also to be able, personally, to be able to sort of make a difference in people's lives because, I, you know, we have a team of 17 who work throughout New Zealand mm-hmm. and I would say that really is probably one of the key drivers for all of us is that mm-hmm. we can see the difference that we make to people uh, when they come to New Zealand and, and work with us on one of the resettlement programs and their life and their path is smoother 
and they can achieve what they want to achieve in New Zealand. You know, and that's very rewarding for them and for us to be walking alongside them on that journey. Mm, cool. So where can people find you if they want to know more about your work and your mm-hmm. your company? Sure. No, I'd love to connect with anybody who's keen to know more. Mm. Um, probably the easiest place is on LinkedIn, Bridget Romains. My name will be around um, on your podcast. Or if you'd like to look at our website, www mobile-relocation.com. Now, on our website, we've got a whole section called Move to New Zealand Resources, so you can have a look through that. There's all sorts of information there. And we've also got a really amazing downloadable, free downloadable checklist, which is a bit different Mm -hmm. to checklists you'll find in other places about moving to New Zealand because it covers everything from logistics to emotional issues to practical issues so, you know, you can go through that. Some of it you can be able to tick off already. Other bits you'll think, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Better focus on that too. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots of resources there available to you. And if you want to talk to me personally, just connect on LinkedIn mm-hmm. um, and we can set up a time to talk. That's great. I'll include them into the show notes so people can find you. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Bridget. It's a, always a pleasure talking with you. A lovely to speak to you too. And I'm very envious of where you are now, but I do hope you might come and see us in New Zealand sometime when it's easier. Yeah, next year. <laughs> see you Excellent. next year. <laughs>